You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Locked On Magic. My name is Phil Prosperenreich. I'm the expert and site editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. You can, of course, follow me on Twitter at philiprr-omd. Regular listeners are used to hearing me alone on this podcast. It kind of turns into a little bit of a monologue. I try to bring in guests whenever I can, but really, I do this to connect to you, to the fans, the audience. And uh, one of you took took the initiative, a guy does have a little bit of a media background, uh, to, to, to present a, a sort of idea to, to, to have a more question and answer session, to, to get the questions that you want answered on this show. Uh, and so today's show is going to be a little bit different. We're going to kind of do a Q&A with, with, uh, with, uh, with my guest today, Stuart Hodge, uh, who, who uh, has a background in media in, in, in the UK. Uh, and, and we're going to talk today about how the Magic turned this thing around. We're going to recap the season and we're going to look forward to what's to come with the Orlando Magic. So without any further ado, I want to welcome in Stuart. Stuart, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and, uh, and, and what you want to accomplish here today. Yeah, well, what I think, Philip, is uh, thanks for, for, for letting me do this. Good to be with everyone and to be part of um, the fantastic work that you do. Um, you're asking a bit about me. I'm a sports journalist to trade, if that's an actual trade. Um, I, I write about... <laughs> yes, me too. Um, I write about sport and uh, many other things, business, technology, that sort of thing. And uh, it might interest people to know that I'm also a sports announcer over here, or a commentator, as we call it, predominantly on soccer, but also on some other sports, volleyball, etc., etc. And uh, once one of the channels that employs me gets rights to some good basketball, then I will be sure to be throwing my hats into that particular ring. I should also say, a massive Orlando Magic fan and uh, a really keen engager with your website. So that's why I'm, I'm quite excited to be doing this. Yeah, I mean, I, I do have to ask this. How did, how did you become mm-hmm. a Magic fan and, 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 and what keeps you following, following the team? Uh, it happens originally. I'm trying to think. It would be. I, I, I was born in 1989. My neighbor, um, not next door neighbor, he lived over the back from me, but um, we could reach each other's houses quite easily. Um, he went to Disneyland and he came back with uh, an Orlando Magic jersey um, back when I was small. And I remember thinking how cool that looked. Um, I had a Mega Drive console at the time and the NBA Live game. And what I can remember is that the floor, um, I mean, obviously the graphics back then weren't great, but I remember that the, the, the floor on the, the sort of Amway Center was, was different to, to any of the other um, ones that you could play on, on on that platform back then. And that just created a sort of degree of intrigue. Um, fast forward a bit into the future, obviously um, a keen follower of all different types of sports. And then um, really sort of at the turn of the previous decades, uh, coinciding with, with Dwight Howard, really, um, at the end uh, of the, the noughties and into the, into the current decade, just massively started following the team. And then over the last couple of years, I've become more disillusioned with other sport and turned to the NBA and the Orlando Magic for solace, which a lot of fans will be going, oh my goodness, you're turning to the Magic (laughs) for comfort? What's wrong? 
but yeah, that, that's pretty much it, really. Uh, and obviously, as a as a massive basketball, a massive Magic fan, that this seemed like a really cool opportunity. So looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, uh, def- definitely glad and glad to have you on here. So I mean, this is this is this is your baby. You're the one asking the questions. So fire away. What do you what do you have for me? Excellent. Um, well, what I will say is um, we want to keep this nice and quick fire for the audience. So um, I, I trust you to be nice and quick fire with the responses, but I may have to come in like Jonathan Isaac and deflect the conversation in another <laughs> direction if you take too long. So, yeah, let's tip off with looking at the season just gone. Um Orlando started off pretty much like a train this year, and then it all collapsed into what we've all become a bit too used to. So can you identify the points or points at which the season went off the rails for you? You know, I, the, the, the easy turning point to the season is, is November 11th. That's when Jonathan Isaac uh, rolled his ankle and the injuries really started to pile up. Orlando at that time was 8-4. and four. Uh, you know, that's kind of when we divide the, the good part of the season to the, the rest of the season. Uh, the Magic would go on, yeah. I think it was an eight or nine game losing streak. They would lose, I think it was like 16 of their next 18 games or something like that, or, or 19 of their next 21 games. Uh, and, and so if you're looking for a moment that things really fell off the rails, it, it's when Jonathan Isaac sprained his ankle in Denver that things really began uh, to, to start heading south and, and, and the season really started cascading. But, um, you know, it, it 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 was it was the accumulation of those injuries. We could see the magic beginning to slow down, and and, and we were wondering how they were going to handle that adversity. And obviously, they didn't handle it very well. And the injuries in November and December, especially, didn't help. And, and so, this was a team that just wasn't capable of recovering uh, when they faced that that kind of massive roster instability that that they had. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, I mean, the injuries didn't help. But do, do you think Orlando performed below their potential? Or did finishing with the first, fifth worst record in the league correspond with the quality of our roster? You know, I, I think that the team underperformed. I, I don't think you can say otherwise. I mean, a lot of people, I thought before the season, rightly said that, you know, this team is too talented to tank. They, they've, got, they've got NBA players. they got players who can hold their own in the league, and they'll be able to sneak out a few wins. I, and I thought ultimately this was really like a 32-33 win team, uh, and, and I thought that would have been an okay— I mean, it wouldn't have been a successful season. I think a lot of fans want to see the team take take that next step. But to, to improve off a 29-win season with virtually the same roster, like getting up to 35 wins would have been, I thought, a pretty good season and, and, and something not to celebrate, yeah. but something to be satisfied with. Um, I, I still think this team has that talent, and they showed that throughout the course of the season when they beat Cleveland at home with that comeback win, when they beat uh, Milwaukee. When they, they beat some pretty good teams. They're capable of, of competing with playoff teams, and, and they should have considered themselves at least as a fringe playoff team. The injuries really hurt confidence, and, and once the season really became dark, they just kind of lost a lot of will, and, and you see that late in the season. And so I think ultimately... The Magic's record is much worse than their talent level would suggest. I want to pick out one thing that you said there. You used the word confidence. How big a factor do you think that was in the overall collapse? You know, I think it was it was really big. Um, even when the team was playing well, uh, you could kind of sense that 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 a lot of the players were wary of the other shoe dropping. I mean, Evan Fournier 
would said at one point, you know, we went 19 and 13 two years ago. We know how quickly this thing can, can tear apart. And you weren't sure if that was, oh, we know that we have to respect this, that, that we have to keep working, that, that this isn't quite normal yet, or this isn't something we, we haven't established or done anything. Or if it was, uh-oh, here we go again. Uh, and, mm. and so I think that when things started to fall apart, you saw kind of the scars of the last five years, of the last six years now begin to show up. Players stopped committing to the game plan. They stopped kind of doing the things that they needed to do to win, uh, and and they were never able to get the rope back. And and so once that rope was gone, once once it was, you know, flying, you know, off to wherever it was going, they they couldn't reel things back in and get themselves back under control. And and frankly, I think it's because they've never been able to do that before. I like that yeah, continuation of the rope metaphor with the word real. Uh, we, we like a bit of continuous metaphor on, on here. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, how how does this season, you mentioned it could have been or, or should have been a 35-win team or, or thereabouts. How does this compare against the other seasons in the past six years? I mean, I know the record's been worse but you've got to consider everything, such as the standard of other teams in the league, where we're at as a franchise overall, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, how does this one match up against the years that have gone past? It's it's hard to say. Um, you know, as as a function of, I've had some some fans say that that this year was the worst year in Magic history, or the worst team in Magic history, and, and I don't agree with that. I, I don't I don't think that's the case. This is a ta- this was a talented team, like not elite talent, not maybe surefire playoff talent. But as far as the teams that the Magic have had over the last six years, this this team is as talent as is, is, is probably on the upper end, you know, of the most talented teams, maybe second or third. I mean, they're in the upper half. Um, what I think does that not make it all the more disappointing? It though? does, and I, and I think that's that's where the the other evaluation comes in, the expectation level, the the where the team is at. What makes this season, this past season, so bad and, and just so frustrating? is hmm. that there really isn't much hope for the future. Uh, Aaron Gordon is a nice player, um, John, but we're still debating whether the Magic should pay him. Jonathan Isaac is nice, but he played only, what, 27 games? And a draft pick is a draft pick, and I think that's where a lot of people pin their hopes and why so many people were, were for tanking and for getting as many ping-pong balls as they can. The problem with this team right now is they are in the absolute worst position you can be in as a franchise. They're capped out, yeah. so they can't make any free agent moves. They don't have any young assets that they can trade. No one wants what they have. And they don't have a lot of young players that they need to develop or, or, or can sell for the future right now or sell as the future of their team. I'm an optimist. I think Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, and whoever they pick is a good start. But it's what it is. It's a start. It feels like the Magic are completely restarting. And after six years of, of building the roster, this is a dead end. And everyone knows it. Absolutely. I think that you've, you've brought up a few good points there that I'm going to revisit later on. Um, but what I want to do now is, is is just make sure that we're not going to be entirely negative here when we look at uh, the season just gone. I can understand the frustration, understand the the anger even from, from, from some fans about what has transpired. And as you say, so many reasons not necessarily to, to be cheerful about the future. But there must be some positives to come out of the season just gone. So if you've got maybe two or three sort of main positives that we can say from, from what we did see, what would those be? 
You know, I, I think Aaron Gordon is obviously a huge positive. Uh, you know, we entered the season not really knowing what he is or what he could be. Uh, and, and even though he tailed off toward the end of the season and, and struggled a little bit, um, Aaron Gordon finally looked like he could be a potential all-star. And, and some of that is he's dealt with injuries. He's dealt with being in the wrong spot. And, and things just seem to finally click for him, and, and or at least click in part for him uh, this year. Um, to the point where, yes, we're willing to pay you $20 million a year over the next four or five years to keep doing those things. Uh, I think he'll continue to grow. He's 22 years old. Um, but... Uh, but but Gordon really shined bright this year. Um, I, I didn't expect Gordon to get this good, to, to clearly be the best player on the team after the way he kind of slowly developed over the course of his first three seasons. Um, the other Benefits thing, of an offseason, maybe, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, last summer was his first healthy offseason of his career, uh, and, and, and health is a big deal for him, and, and a lot of people are like, oh, he's kind of injury-prone, and it's more not that he's injury prone that he has the same injury. He just gets these little nicks, and they do seem to, to set him back. Uh, so that's something Aaron's going to have to work on if he wants to be a $20 million man, which, which he probably will be. Um, the other positives I would say is, is, is we saw a lot of individual improvement from several players. I thought Evan Fournier took a step forward. I thought yeah. um, Mario Zonia obviously became, a, became an NBA player. Uh, Jonathan Simmons took to a new role and, and had his struggles, but I thought generally did very, very well. Uh, you can point to a lot of individual players getting better. Of course, the, the, the trick here now is to make those individual parts work for the whole. Um, but, you know, if, if, you, if you look close enough, there are definitely things to at least be positive about, um, if, not, if not excited for. Just going to pick on what you were saying about Aaron Gordon. Um, Zach Lowe uh, wrote something in his in his 10 things just towards the end of the season where he said that he feels Aaron Gordon is at his best when he channels his inner Draymond Green. So essentially a defensive beast shooting the three at the right point and not trying to do too much in isolation. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think he can be that sort of player. And, and, and I, I generally have a theory that Bad teams aren't necessarily bad because they don't have good players. Bad teams are bad because they have the the wrong the, the players in the wrong roles. Asking Aaron Gordon to be your leading scorer, number one guy, guy on the ball, right now that's you're not going to win games that way. He's not good at that, yeah. and we saw that throughout the year. His shot selection is a little bit iffy. I, I think he thinks he's the star uh, and, and, and plays how he thinks a star should play rather than playing the way he should play, rather than being who he is as, as a player. Uh, and so I, I agree with, with, with Zach Lowe, and I generally agree with Zach Lowe because he's, he's really good. Um, but yeah. I, I agree with Zach Lowe's analysis there that, that Gordon needs to pick his spots a little bit better. Um, I, I think he can, he can do a little bit more than Draymond Green can do. Um, I think he's got more natural talent, and I think he's got a, a lot more natural talent on the ball. But he needs to do the things that Draymond Green does too. And, and I think that part was lost a little bit this year. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, Gordon has so much defensive ability. Uh, there's been so much focus on how his offense has come on this season that sometimes it's forgotten uh, by your more fair weather fan that that defense is really what he hangs his hat on as well as dunking ability and athleticism. Um, just moving on then, let's talk a bit more about the, the off-court stuff. Um, I mean, I know it's only now that we're probably, what could you say, about about to see them properly flex their muscle. But how would you rate the performance of, I mean, can we still call them the new front office of Jeff Weltman and John Hammond? How do you rate their performance at this point? 
Uh, it's it's hard to rate their performance, honestly, at this point. Um, they just haven't had the opportunity to make a lot of decisions. Um, they 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 called this year an evaluation year, and, and and I take that more as code of saying we really couldn't do anything to this roster, so we're yeah. gonna just let the contracts go another year. Um, obviously now, so so essentially, I gave them a pass for all decisions made the past year. Um, Jonathan Isaac is the one decision they had to get right. Um, Jury's still out on that. I'm a lot more hopeful about Isaac than I was on draft night. His defense is is legit is legitimate, and he's only going to get better there. Um, he's got to stay healthy, but I, I'm not going to get overly concerned over a year of injuries like he had this year. Um, but you know, the free agent signings, Shelvin Mack turned out to be a good signing. It's not going to kill you cap wise. Jonathan Simmons turned out to be a solid signing. Um, the yeah. draft picks, you know, giving up the 25th pick, not what I would have done, but. Uh, I, I kind of understand what their what their goal was there and what they were thinking there, and it may not have been the right time to have that second first round pick. But um, now now they have to start making decisions and they have to start building the team back up. They they obviously made a big decision firing Frank Vogel. Um, that's mm. the start. Their their co- the coach that they pick next is is a big deal. Is a big decision. Um, we saw. Let's that- park that. Let's yeah. just park that one for a moment. Um, I'm going to pick out a decision that they, they did, or you could argue didn't make, which to me is looking like a big, big mistake in hindsight. I think you'll know where I'm mm-hmm. going with this. They didn't extend the option to Mario Hazonia, um, who, don't get me wrong, before this season, you could totally understand why that was the case. But should they maybe, um, given that the option wouldn't have been particularly expensive to take on in terms of the cap space, there's obviously various p- permutations there. I mean, does that not look like a huge mistake in hindsight not doing that for someone that was picked fit in the draft? I mean, it absolutely it absolutely looked like a mistake, yeah, regardless of anything. I, mean, I think young, cost-controlled players, you have to find a way to keep them. Now, in fairness to them, Hazonia did not look like an NBA player at the beginning of the season. He was still struggling to get his shots off. Shots off. Um, the Magic really didn't have a role for him, and so... It felt like both parties needed to kind of wipe their hands clean. The Magic essentially were trying to give him away. Um, they're trying to just give him away for a second-round pick, and no one wanted him. That's that's how low his value was. Uh, and so it, it was a mistake. Um, it, it was definitely a miscalculation. They probably didn't intend for Zonia to play as much as he did, but he, he took advantage of the opportunity and good on him. To the yeah. point where I think the Magic would— I think Jeff Weltman would say— yeah, that was not the smartest decision by me. That 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 one did not that one did not uh, did not pan out well. But at the same time, it's not a decision I lose sleep over. Uh, I know a lot of people love Mario Hazonia and love his potential, and we saw we finally saw his potential come out, and and that's what playing time does. But uh, yeah. at the same time, he's still a very flawed player. Um, I don't see him as a future starter. I don't see him as a future All Star player, which which some people still do. Um, I see him as a reserve, and and this is a guy that's still shooting thirty three percent from beyond the arc, even even in a breakthrough three point season. That's not going to get the job done for for who he is. That's and a what fair he's point. To do. Yeah, so that's it's, a very it's, fair point. It's a mistake, but it's not one I lose sleep over. Okay, I'll give you that one. Um, let's talk about another decision they did make, Alfred Payton. Um, so. Where do you stand on that? Was it the right move, or did we not get enough back for a player who was drafted as high as tenth? Remember. I mean, if, if you're looking at it just in isolation, yeah, Alfred Payton should get you more than a second-round pick. He is, he, is a, he is a solid player. He is a fringe starter in this league. But the Magic also needed to move on. It was clear that they weren't re-signing Alfred Payton. 
uh, they just wanted to get anything for him. Uh, that, that, that's what it came down to. It's like, who wants him? Just give us something of value and we'll give him to you. Um, just because they wanted so- they wanted something for him. And, and I think it was the right move. It was time to move on. I mean, you can't, you know, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect <laughs> different results. We all know that the Magic need to flip over this core, that, that, that some of the players that have been here for a very long time probably need to move on, that it's time to, to change things up, that what the Magic have isn't working. And Alfred Payton, for better or for worse, whether it's true or not, was a huge symbol of Rob Hennigan and, and his tenure. Rob Hennigan defended yeah. him to the very end. It was time to move uh, on. It, it was time to kind of shed that shed that 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 skin a little bit, I suppose. So, um, uh, it, the deal isn't the deal wasn't ideal, but that was the best they could do. If you look at his plus minus since he's gone to Phoenix as well, it almost looks like they're they've been vindicated in in the decision that was made. Um, moving on, then you mentioned Frank Vogel, which is obviously the the massive talking point recently. Uh, was it the correct decision to fire him? You know, I, I I was still on the boat of saying he should get another year, that, that the roster is more the problem, and I think some stability at coach is, is warranted. But the more I've thought about it, the more I kind of agree that it was probably the right decision to move on and, and start completely new. Um, he he has a lot of flaws as a coach, and, and, and Pacers fans told us about them, and, and, and they knew about them in Indiana, and Paul George covers up a lot of your flaws. Okay, name them. Uh, he, I think that he is a little too slow to make in-game adjustments and rotation changes. Um, I think he's yep. very analytical, and, and, and you know he's someone that is very dependent on tape to show the guys what's happening and what's going on. And some of that, I think, is, is partly because he doesn't have playing experience at this level. So tape is what he knows. And so I mm. think he sometimes defers too much to the players. Not that he doesn't hold them accountable or show them their mistakes— but he defers to the player's judgment and the player's feel more than his own. And, and he wants evidence to, to, to back up his decisions, almost too much evidence sometimes, before making a move. I mean, perfect example of this, Ken Birch. We could all see the impact that he was making on the floor over yeah, Bismack totally. Biombo, over even Nikola Vucevic at times. And yet Ken Birch was always the third or fourth center. He couldn't find time for Ken Birch. And when you're trying to win and something's not working, you've got to make a change. You've got to be willing to try something and, and maybe take a little bit of a risk, take a little bit of a gamble, try something new. And that's not really Vogel's MO. That's not his in his DNA. We know his offenses have struggled in Indiana, struggled in Indiana a little bit. They weren't always that imaginative. And there's no Paul George to bail you out on this team. And so when the offense, when teams adjusted to the offense, the offense didn't really adjust back. They didn't. They didn't make the necessary adjustments. And you know, Frank Vogel even admitted at the end of the season that he's had to rethink a lot of his defensive principles because yeah, of the way I was going to say that. Going. And so, at the end of the day, it's like, well, you you are hired essentially as a defensive coach. If your defense isn't working anymore at, at, at the way the league is playing, what 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 is this team's identity? What are you trying to teach them? What where are you trying to go? And you know, I think. Before Vogel gets a new job, and he will get another job somewhere, he really needs to fine-tune this more modern approach that he talked about over the course of the last year and a half. He really needs to fine-tune that approach and, and have it ready to go for his new team. Because it felt like yeah, I think that's true. Transitioning. 
Yeah, but I think, I mean, if you actually looked at the start of the season, which obviously was misleading when we were shooting the lights out, definitely. But I did see an identity. I saw ball movement. I saw an, more of an emphasis maybe on perimeter shooting, stuff like that. I could see him trying to do things. Um, but I think what is really telling, as you say, is uh, the fact he's had to rethink his defence. What he did with um, sort of two big men in, in Indiana is not necessarily what's going to work in the NBA as it is now, as, as the league has developed. But don't you feel just a little bit sorry for Vogel, given what he had to work with in terms of quality on the roster and then the number of injuries that compounded things this year? Oh, yeah. No, Vogel was in a no-win situation. I mean, I, I in no way put this season on the coach. I mean, I, I think Vogel got a lot more out of the team than people are willing to, to admit. Um, the players, I mean, for lack, for lack of a better, to, for, 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 you know, punchiness, the players are the problem here. Uh, you know, they've not accomplished anything. If they're tuning out their coach, that's on them. That's not on the coach. Uh, they've they've got to they've got to you know listen up and 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 learn how to win at some point, and they are the ones that continually fail through coach after coach after coach after coach. Uh, so it, he was put in a very bad he was put in a no win situation. Yeah, he's probably not the right coach for this group because of of kind of the style that he that he puts in. Uh, but he's also, you know, the players also weren't going to help him get to this team's potential or, or get to where this team could have gone. Uh, and it's because of things that they did more than anything else. So it, it wasn't a good situation for anybody. And, and honestly, you know, I, I kind of feel like if you're Jeff Waltman, if you're John Hammond, if Vogel's not your guy, now was the time. You're, you're, you're starting over now. This is year one. So okay. now's the time. You, you say now was the time, but isn't there an argument to suggest that it would have made more sense to bring in another coach at the beginning of this year to try and implement that new philosophy that the new front office won earlier and then to aid continuity in the long run? Yeah, no, it, it definitely would have made sense to do that. Um, the ownership wouldn't let them do that uh, because Vogel still had, Vogel was one year into his deal as a three-year deal with a team option. Uh, so they didn't want to pay him essentially for two years to do nothing. Uh, so it, financially, it made sense. Uh, Vogel's a good coach. People like Vogel. It's not that he's a bad coach. Players liked him at, at the end of the day, too. Um, it, it was worth trying. It was If you weren't going to make a ton of changes to the roster, co continuity was certainly a big reason why the team succeeded at the beginning of the season. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think, that, I think that, that that was the right decision. Again, if it were me, I probably would give Vogel another year. Um, I, I think that... That he's that he's he's not a bad coach and he could deliver what what you're asking him to deliver. Um, I did see the growth and development that I wanted to see from several players, but at the end of the day, if you're going to make a move, if you're going to make a move eventually, do it immediately. Do you know what you just did there, Philip? You proved why you're the man answering the questions and I'm the man asking them because that sort of factoid there about the ownership and Vogel was one that I wasn't aware of. So yeah. that's why we're in our respective roles here. And actually, I suppose there's a lesson in there for the Orlando magic. Get the right people in the right roles and you may succeed. So <laughs> there we are. Um, right, let's move on then to look at the potential replacements. Talk me through who you believe to be the standout candidates and why. And I'm willing to give you a little longer on this one, but 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 not too much rope. Yeah, it's it's 
it's still early in the process. Um, and, and I think that a lot of the names we're hearing are more people connecting dots than, than any actual rumors. The only actual rumor that we have here today is the Magic will interview Jerry Stackhouse. And Stackhouse is one of the most promising young coaches in in the whole NBA orbit. Um, coached Raptors 905, the, the Toronto Raptors G League team, to a G League championship last year. Uh, got them to the finals again this year. Guy who wants to be an NBA head coach. A lot of NBA experience. Uh, you know, a, a lot a lot on that end. He's coached professionals before, coached them successfully. But not a ton of NBA Stack, experience. Stacks of experience, you could say. Yeah, stacks of experience. Um but, uh, but um, you know, no one really knows what kind of coach he's going to be yet, I guess. Um, he's, he's, young, he's, he's relatively young, and, and so I think there's a potential that he could relate to players. And, and he's someone that a lot of teams are going after. He's not only going to interview with Orlando, he's going to interview with Charlotte and New York as well. Um, and, and there's obviously a lot of ties to—he'll to, there, there, have a lot of opportunity in front of him. The other guy I think you got to watch out for is uh, Toronto Raptors assistant coach Nick Nurse. Nurse is largely credited— with developing the Raptors' offense this year, uh, probably the best, probably the best offense in the league, or the second, third best offense in the league. Um, the reason why Toronto is the number one seed in the Eastern Conference is because of that offense taking the leap that they took. So, yeah, players like Van Vliet and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Demar Derozan developing three point shot. Um, Nurse, yeah, Nurse, is, Nurse is largely credited more as uh, initially started as a shooting coach, so he understands a lot about offense and and. I think he would be a really, really strong candidate. Um, a couple other names that have been thrown out there that I kind of like. Uh, Monty Williams, former New Orleans Pelicans head coach. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he probably should get a second shot at being a head coach somewhere. Good development guy. Great relationship with players. Um, he could be a—I mean, I think he got a little bit of a raw deal in New Orleans. They were not as successful as you would like them to be, but they were successful, and, and, and I, I thought it was wrong. I, I didn't think he should have gotten fired. After uh, after making the playoffs the way that he made the playoffs, um, and so I think that he is he would be an interesting candidate, someone who has a little bit more experience. Um, but other than that, you're starting to look at some of the other hot names: uh, Igor Koskoskov from the Utah Jazz, former Magic assistant as well. He coached uh, uh, Slovenia to the EuroBasket Championship. David Blatt is someone that I think the Magic could look at. Obviously, he coached the Cavaliers, didn't have a great experience there, but is a, a well-respected, well-known coach in Europe. He deserves a second chance at an NBA opportunity, I think. He's, he's a very good head coach um, overseas, and I think he could still be one with the NBA. Remember, the team he coached in Cleveland wasn't the team he was hired to coach. Um, they added LeBron after they hired him, and I think, they I think even they would say is, if we knew we were getting LeBron, we wouldn't have hired David Blatt. We would have gone in a different direction. Um, and so I think that's, I think Blatt kind of got a raw deal there. Um, but there are obviously a lot of other coaches out there. Um, you know, I don't think the Magic have developed their list in full yet. Uh, I think that they're still figuring out what they want, what they're looking for, and they'll identify the candidates that they want to bring in. Steve Clifford's uh, man that's, that's been there one. before. Yep. Just, yeah, uh, so he's another one you would factor into that potential shortlist. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Steve. I mean, I'm a big Steve Clifford fan. I think what he did in Charlotte is is criminally underrated. A lot of injuries, um, a lot of lot of lot of difficulties, but that team was always good and always competitive. And and I think that that people overlook that. Yeah, and what a rollback the year's performance from Dwight Howard towards the end of the campaign there. That was awesome to see, um, even as a Magic fan, and even obviously given the the, the rivalry there. Um, 
Do you think the fact, though, that you've, you've got a number of teams who are in the market for a head coach with a number of interim coaches currently in place, etc., do you think that complicates the search for the Magic? Or do you think they're going to have a clear candidate in mind and make their move quite assertively? Uh, you know, it, it definitely uh, increases the competition. Um, and, and that competition is only going to get greater as the playoffs move on because the Milwaukee Bucks will also be looking for a head coach. Uh, Joe Prunty is the interim coach there. So that's going to add another team to the mix. Um, you look at the Jerry Stackhouse. Um, the Magic are trying to, are, are looking to interview Jerry Stackhouse. He's got three other interviews already. So now you're, you're competing and, and your situation and your job has to compete with what other people are looking for or what those coaches are looking for. A, a, a qualified coach, like let's say David Fisdale. A lot of Magic fans want mm-hmm. David Fisdale. David Fisdale can look at the Magic situation and say, you know, that Magic situation isn't as good as New York or isn't as good as Charlotte. And I'd rather coach there. The coaches now have some power. They have some 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 leverage in negotiations. They have some ability to say, you know, I don't like this situation. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go for it, or I, I like this situation more. That's the one I'm gonna choose. So I think the Magic are going to identify a list. I think they're going to go aggressively after the guys that they want because they have to. They have to try and get their coach in place before everyone else does, before the competition becomes too great or becomes too great. Um, and 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 they've got to they've got to find again. It's about finding the right guy number one. But if you find that right guy, you better be able to to, to put in to get what you want or get him for sure. Yeah. Bit of a random one, this, um, just thinking about the coaching situation, but obviously Frank Vogel's tenure with the Magic's got him almost back to pretty much a 500 record in the NBA as a coach. How important do you think um, maintaining sort of a, a positive overall differential is for, for coaches when they're they're making that decision as to which job they take? Uh, you know, I, I think that it, it does matter. I think a lot of organisations will realise the, the difficult situation that Frank Vogel was put in. But undoubtedly, if you aren't successful as a coach, if you struggle for several years, that puts you in danger of never getting a head coaching job again. Uh, I would say, I would argue that whatever job Frank Vogel gets next, he needs to be successful at that job. If he has another, you know, if he has another couple 20-win seasons, he may not ever be a head coach again. I mean, the, the book may be closed because right now you've got a way his years in Indiana against his years in Orlando. And right now, the years in Indiana tipped the scale. And 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 you remember what, what he did there more and say, okay, that's who Frank Vogel is, not the years in Orlando. So we're going to hire the, the Frank Vogel that we, th- that we thought Orlando was getting in Indiana. If you have another 30-win season, 25-win season, 28-win season, all of a sudden mm-hmm. the scale starts to change a little bit. So yeah, I, I don't think record is everything especially for a guy coming out of a, a weird situation in Orlando. Record's not everything, but it does matter because ultimately, this is a win or lose business. You either win games or you lose games. And that's how you're judged. Yeah, I think some really good points made there, Philip. The The coaching situation is definitely going to be one that Magic fans are, are massively keeping their eyes on in, in the immediate sort of picture. Uh, you could call it the immediate short term. I mean, when would you expect an appointment to be made just finally? I, I, I think that a uh, hire will be made sometime during the second round of the playoffs, probably bef- just before the NBA draft lottery, so May 15th. Uh, I, would, I would aim to, to have, if, if it, I would aim to have a hire done, not, if not by the NBA draft lottery, shortly thereafter. 
Um, you want a coach involved, at least peripherally, in the draft process. Uh, you want him to understand the roster so he can provide his input on the kind of players that he wants because ultimately the coach has to coach the players. Uh, and so I think you want the coach involved at least to some extent in the draft process. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, and hopefully that's something we can come on to talk about at some point in the future. But that's all the questions I've got for you now. Um, thanks for answering them to, to the best of your ability and teaching me a few things along the way. And thanks for the opportunity to do this, my friend. It's been good fun, and um, thank you to, to any of the fans out there that have listened to us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Stuart, for, for, for approaching me with this idea and 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 for kind of being and kind of ans- asking the the questions that I think fans do want to know as we recap the season definitely a different format to recap the season and 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 a great way to, to to have these conversations you can always of course submit questions to me on Twitter at locked on magic or at philip r underscore omd and of course you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes Stitcher TuneIn and all the fun places you download podcasts to your podcast enabled listening device uh, Stuart, if, if that's all you have, um, tell, tell everyone where they can find you if they want to interact with you or, or feed you questions to ask me when we do this again. Yeah, um, probably the easiest way is via Twitter, just a bit like yourself. I'm at Hodgie the Hack. So that's H-O-D-G-E-Y, the Hack, H-A-C-K. All one word, um, and that's probably the best way to get me. But uh, I'm sure if any of the fans either submit questions to yourself or approach yourself with any views um, via the various means available, then I'm sure you'll communicate those back to me. And in the fullness of time, um, I look forward to, to meeting and interacting with more of the fans out there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Stuart, thanks again for, for coming on and, and, and providing that voice and getting some of these questions out there because I do think that, that they're important and, and, and uh, getting me to answer them in a different way too I think is, is, is important uh, as well. Um, that's going to do it for us though. I want to thank everyone again for listening. I want to thank Stuart again as well. For Orlando Magic Daily and Lockdown Magic, this has been Philip Rossenreich. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando magic podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.